Well, I invite and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs chapter 18, and each week we provide an outline so that you can follow along with the message. Those are available at the two entry doors to the auditorium. For those watching on live stream, you have an outline button next to your media player. The book of Proverbs has seven sections to it, but just two major divisions. Those seven sections I've been showing you for the several weeks that we've been going through the the book of Proverbs. There's the introduction that we have completed, and then there are these other six that you see there. The two divisions, though, are the introduction, chapters 1 through 9, and then everything else. That introduction that we've now completed you'll remember, was structured. It was structured sequentially. It was structured logically with a few foundational themes that were interwoven that set the stage for the remainder of the book. But then everything else in that other division from chapters 10 to 31 is arranged more topically, not as lectures, lessons from a father to a son as we saw in the introduction. Instead, the rest of the book is filled with those short, pithy, sayings that are more closely correspond to what our minds go to when we think of Proverbs. Sayings like you see in verse 21 of chapter 18. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now I'll explain what that means a bit later, but for now I just want us to be aware that starting this week, we're going to be looking at topics like today's. Our words, our communication, the use of the tongue. In the next several weeks, we're going to look at what Proverbs says about other subjects like anger, relationships, work, and others. Now, the material on these topics is going to come from various parts of the book, primarily in chapters 10 to 31. Now, most of the book of Proverbs, I noted last week, was written by one person, Solomon. In fact, about 84% of it was. But some others, like a group called, on that slide we had up just a bit ago, uh, called the Wise, and then there is Agur, and there's Lemuel. So there were some others who contributed to the book of Proverbs as well. So if you're looking at a single topic, from the perspective of several different people, how do you know that what each of them says is the same? How can you be assured that the teaching is going to be consistent? Well, this is the same issue that you have with the entire Bible. The Bible itself has 66 books written over a 1,600-year period by 40 different authors. And yet its message is consistent because behind all of that ultimately is one author, the Lord himself, overseeing the writing and the collection process so that what the human writers record is exactly what he wanted written. So we're going to look at the teaching of Proverbs throughout these 22 chapters, 10 through 31, of this second division, because what it says throughout is consistent and complementary, starting today with the issue of communication. Let's ask the Lord now to help us. Father, we thank you that we are here because it's only due to your grace that we are that you have granted us the freedom, you've granted us the health, but you've also given us the desire to be here, 
many other things that we could be doing, but you have given us the internal desire to please you and therefore to learn of you and to encourage brothers and sisters to do the same. And so we set aside this time on the Lord's Day. Thank you for this. And thank you now for this portion of the Lord's Day to open your word and to be instructed therein. Help us to be attentive and open to the change that you require and deserve. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I say in your outline, first of all, that words come from the heart. We were reminded last week that the foundation laid in the introduction teaches that the source of all we say and do comes from the heart, which is in Scripture the control center of the person. We saw in chapter 4 that our hearts process what our ears and eyes take in, and then depending on what the heart wants, that in turn determines what our mouths say and where our feet go. In the middle of, in the midst of that chapter in chapter 4, we saw this last week. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This is why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Word of God has much to say about how we use our God-given gift of communication. The book of Proverbs alone has nearly 90 passages dealing with our words. One reason this issue requires such attention in Scripture is the sheer volume of words that we each speak, which make us all vulnerable to misusing them. A few years ago, Science Magazine published the results of a study that was designed to determine who talks more, men or women. Now, women are generally assumed to be more talkative than men. Data were analyzed from 396 participants who wore a voice recorder that sampled ambient sounds for several days. Participants' daily word use was extrapolated from the number of recorded words. And it turns out that women and men both spoke about 16,000 words each day. Now, at 16,000 words a day, and allowing that you sleep on average, say, six hours, We speak about 900 words an hour. So if you've been up this morning for an hour, and from the looks of some of you, it doesn't look like it's been quite an hour. (laughs) But if you've been up for an hour, then on average, you've done that already. Now, if you're not a, a morning person, then you're just getting warmed up, and somebody's in for an avalanche after the the service. But think about that, 16,000 words a day, 900 words an hour. If you live to be 75, let's say you've been speaking fluently for 70 of those, you'll have been speaking for 25,500 days. At 16,000 a day, you'll have spoken 408,800,000 words. 408,800,000 words. And Jesus said this, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, it was just two verses prior to that that Jesus said what I displayed earlier, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this, the Greek word argos, translated careless, 
refers to words that might be thought insignificant except for their revealing what's in the heart. Jesus is saying that every spoken word reflects the heart's overflow and is known to God. Therefore, words are of critical importance. It's an intimidating thought that we'll give an account for millions of our words. But I can help reduce your judgment tally by at least half by recommending this. Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's what the Bible says. If you do that, you're going to reduce that number of careless words. The book of Proverbs says this, when there are many words, transgression, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And what our hearts want to do with those hundreds of millions of words affects others and affects ourselves. So I say in the outline that words come from the heart and words have tremendous power. In chapter 18 and verse 21 that I read earlier, now look at the verse just before it, verse 20. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. Now, if you analyze that just for a bit, you'll see that it's weird at first because it's talking about something that comes out of you, from your mouth, the fruit of your mouth, coming back into you so that you're filled. And the second line in verse 20 does the same. It's by what's gathered, what's harvested from our lips that we are satisfied. What this is saying is that whatever you say to impact others will in fact fully impact you. Other people feed on our words when they hear them, and so we influence their behavior. That in turn means they speak and act in ways that affect us. Whatever a person dishes out, whether beneficial or harmful, he himself will feed on it to full measure through what his audience in return dishes out to him. To put it another way, These proverbs are saying we eat our words. They come back to us through others that have been influenced by us. Verse 21 again, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Just like the two lines of verse 20 are parallel, so also are these two lines in verse 21. The end of the first line in verse 21 is life and death, and the end of the second is fruit. It's saying that the way we talk has consequences, fruit for us, either good or bad, life or death. And the beginning of the first line is parallel to the beginning of the second. The tongue has power is parallel to those who love it. That is, those who recognize the tongue's power, who recognize its value and its utility, what it can do, they will love it and treat it carefully. People who are in love with language, they use it meticulously. They search for the proper expression and precise meaning, and they have an end in view which they will reach because they know what language is for and how it can best be used to achieve its purpose. 
Their objective may be good, though, producing life, or it may be bad, producing death. So you have this ability of speech that produces fruit in those who hear it, but it comes back to produce fruit in you because it influences those around you. And all of that for good or bad, life and death. Words have tremendous power. They can, I say in the outline, build up. That phrase, life and death, in verse 21, takes into account all that happens, good and bad. Life and death is what's called a merism. It uses two items to include everything. So, for example, when the first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, heavens and the earth is a merism to say everything. In the beginning, God created everything. So here, communication affects all of life from the beginning of our ability to give and receive to the end of life. It speaks of relationship within community or lack of it. Through all of life, what you say has the ability to build up or not. Your words are creating an environment, and both yourself and those who hear will be affected. My wife, Kim, is an example of someone who communicates in a way that positively affects those around her. Her words and the way she speaks them creates an environment of calm, of love, and of kindness. She got that from her mom, who many of you know and love. Dad and mom are watching on live stream. Hey, dad and mom. Now, some of that is personality. Kim and mom both have easygoing personalities. But you add a spiritual desire to use words carefully and helpfully, and you have a beautiful thing. Kim had to train me early on to ensure I didn't mess up the environment she was creating. We still laugh about her in the first years that we were married, just giving me some guidelines for how things were going to work. Apparently, I was accustomed to saying shut up and didn't realize it. So she told me, you say shut up, and I said shut up. <laughs> I do not. And she had me. And she said, we don't say shut up. And she said it so calmly and kindly, I bought in. I think I never now say shut up except when telling the story. She also told me we don't yell. There's never been any yelling in our house, though I wasn't a big yeller to begin with. But it's an example of your words creating a relational environment, a life-giving environment. The same environment you'll inhabit. So you eat those good words along with those around you. What kind of communication environment are you creating? Whether at work, at home, with friends, at church. As we speak to our spouses and our children and our co-workers and friends, it should be us using our God-given ability to communicate in ways that give them an accurate view of themselves and what you think of them. An accurate view includes their strengths and their positive qualities. And the truth is, everyone has them because we're made in the image of God and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if their behavior is such that it obscures those strengths, 
then do the hard work to see them and acknowledge them, but also assure them that you, to let them know that you love them, that you want the best for them, that you see possibility in them. Because our words can build up or they can tear down. Our words can build up or they can tear down. Angry words, insults, sarcasm that communicates a negative view of the individual, these tear others down and should never be spoken to the person or to others about the person. The Bible limits our vocabulary quite a bit with some of its passages. I saw you, I gave you one earlier. Do nothing, uh, say nothing that is complaining or arguing. That will eliminate a lot of what we say. But here's another one. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Now, when it says unwholesome, it's that which is itself rotten and disseminates rottenness. It's not simply bad language like cursing and swearing, but gossip and slander. Anything that injures others and sparks dissension is unwholesome. Now, the good news for us here is that only non-Christians and unchurched people gossip and slander, right? And we chuckle because we know that's, that's unfortunately not the case. In 2006, author Jerry Bridges spent several months writing a book called Respectable Sins. The subtitle is Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. The book has chapters for several common sins that have become acceptable among Christians, like discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, impatience, anger, and several others. But at one point, he says this, in the months that I have been working on this book, I've often been asked in social settings, what are you working on now? When I mention respectable or acceptable sins we tolerate, invariably someone will roll his or her eyes and say, oh, you mean like gossip. He says, apparently, this is the first of the Christian sins that comes to mind, gossip. So it must be quite prevalent among us and is something we continue to tolerate in our lives. This is a real problem, including in churches. And on occasion, it's reared its head among us. You have someone who talks down others. That's what slander is. But they may do it in the form of a prayer request. <laughs> or, can I confide in you? They tell you what's going on and what someone did to them, and your response should be to move from talking about that person to talking to that person. If someone else's name is mentioned in your presence in a negative way, you say, are you going to go to them or am I? I'll go with you if that would help. And you see, friends, it says something about us if we listen to it. Here's what Proverbs 17 says. A wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Are you someone who finds yourself saying, people just come to me? Over the years that I've been in church, which is my whole life, <laughs> I've had a number of people who have told me that. I don't know what it is, but people just come to me. 
So are you somebody who finds yourself saying that? They come to me, I just don't know why. I know why. <laughs> it's because you listen to their gossip. One author said, a person be can become a garbage collector. Someone in the group becomes the one to whom disgruntled people go because that person will listen and sympathize and be a shoulder to cry on and a rallying point for complaints and a hero to those with hurt feelings. And that listener becomes a bigger problem in the group than the talkers. It's the bane of the gossip and manipulator. If they know that they will ultimately be at the same table with the person that they're slandering. If you say we're going to go to them, then if they're lying, it will be exposed. I've seen instances in ministry where I wish folks who heard a false story would have done what I'm saying. And by the way, it's never, it's never too late to go to someone you've ever heard talked about negatively and get the other side of the story and perhaps get the truth. Go figure. Proverbs 18 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Choice morsels, meaning we like hearing it. That's why we listen. But when they're digested, they stay with you. And they form your opinion of someone or something, and it may not even be true. Because Proverbs also says this, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Consider as well, friends, that you can tear down by just failing to build up. That is, instead of committing a sin of commission by gossiping or slandering, you sin by omission, failing to use your words to obey what God has commanded to build others up according to their needs. You know, there is this category of sin in the Bible, sin of omission, failing to use my communication skills, my words, in order to build up. James chapter 4, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. We each have a positive mandate to speak in edifying ways. An edifice is a building, so we each have this mandate to build in ways that build up, edify, not just remain silent and do no harm. Your silence, in fact, is harmful. Now, I've said you can use your words to build up or tear down, but as we consider it a bit more deeply, the truth is you're always just building up, even when you're tearing down, follow that's because when you tear others down, true, you don't build them up, but you do build yourself up. So you could say your words are really always building up, but the question is who's being elevated? You or others. Proverbs says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words come from the heart. They have tremendous power and they must be controlled. Remember last week when we saw that we live according to what we want? The kind of heart we cultivate dictates what we want. 
that money is the means to get it and power is the ability to get it. If you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you to, to listen to that, but that's what we saw last week. Well, the introduction taught that in order to lay the foundation for passages in Proverbs that deal with things like the use of our tongue. That we are to see a connection between how we speak and what we want in our hearts. So what's the connection between how I talk and getting what my heart wants? Well, when you think about it, your communication is a vehicle of power, the ability to get what you want. That's how we defined power last week, the ability to get what you want. You have ability in your words. You have power in the use of your words. When you speak, you're wielding power over others to influence them in what you want. You can use that ability, that power, in manipulative ways, sinful ways, selfish ways, by lying, exaggerating, deceiving, complaining, slandering, screaming, intimidating. All things that tear down to build you up. Or you can use your words in constructive, edifying ways that build others up. If our words come from our heart, as the first point in the outline says, and if they can be used as instruments of power to get what our hearts want, then the solution to controlling our communication is to cultivate the right things in our hearts. Biblically, the tongue is connected to the heart. That's a biblical anatomy for you. The tongue is connected to the heart. The passage that Pastor Larry read earlier from James chapter 3 warns of what great power the tongue wields. Likening it to a, setting a forest on fire or changing the direction of a large ship. That passage says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. But how do you control your tongue and thereby keep everything else in check? Well, the verse just before it says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's saying that in order to keep your tongue in check, stop liking to hear yourself talk. In order to keep your tongue in check, stop liking to hear yourself talk. Stop pontificating on matters when no one asked your opinion. Cultivate a heart of humility that does not think that everyone is entitled to my opinion. Because when you speak, you're influencing and you will be judged for how you do that. James wrote that in James chapter 3 to Jewish Christians. Christians from a Jewish background who had an issue with people assuming themselves to be teachers. In chapter 2 of James, it refers to their worship meeting place with the Greek word synagogue. We get synagogue from it. So these Christians of Jewish descent would have their Christian worship and fellowship meetings, and no doubt they would carry with them some of the customs of the synagogue. One of those 
customs was that people could stand up and speak. Yikes. The Bible actually says, though, that there should be official teachers for the church. Christ himself gave Ephesians 4 pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And those people who are that are people who are called by God and confirmed by God's people for that. But in every era, you have people who set themselves up as teachers and who look for a soapbox to share their wisdom in the church and outside of it. And it's much, much worse today because access to broad communication is now flattened with social media. So that a person who is just a legend in their own mind has the same platform as experts do. That's the day in which we live. Everybody can just get out and say whatever. So let me ask you, how have you acquitted yourself with your social media communication during the pandemic? How have those around you done? What kind of heart has been revealed? It in fact has been revealing, has it not? And I'd encourage us all to evaluate our own communication over the last year. And also that of others as a way to control our own first and foremost, but also determine who it is you're going to listen to going forward. Take a look at what people said and what actually happened. And evaluate how accurate and truthful and helpful their words were. If not very, then consider unfriending or whatever it is you have to do to reduce the amount of nonsense intake that you're subjected to. Friends, the tongue is the most valuable, or excuse me, the most available tool in the devil's arsenal. Because it's always at the ready. You don't have to prepare to sin with your tongue. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to be in any particular situation. Just whatever you're reacting to, whatever comes to your mind, can now just come out, and your heart is revealed through your mouth. And so it's the most available tool of sin in the devil's arsenal. Always at the ready, no preparation required. And therefore, it must be controlled. Whether it speaks through the mouth or the keyboard, and it's controlled by cultivating a heart of humility that seeks to use words not to build ourselves up, but as an instrument of grace in the lives of others. Now, if you want an example of this, I've already embarrassed my wife. I'm going to embarrass Pastor Larry now. If you want an example of how to do that, right? Then just go on to Larry's, Pastor Larry's Facebook page. And see how he interacts with people. People who even disagree with him. And see how he puts forth the argument. And see the words that he uses. And it'll give you a good example of how to use our words to build others up 
to instruct perhaps as a teacher, to instruct, but also to build up. Here's your take-home truth then. Our words expose our hearts. And they can do great help or harm. Now we're going to pray in just a moment. We'll have our closing song. But before we do, that new heart that God gives is the first step in being able to cultivate a heart that wants the right things and so builds others up rather than ourselves. Can't be done apart from the right kind of heart. And so the right kind of heart begins with a heart changed by the Holy Spirit, as I prayed in our opening prayer, that the Holy Spirit does that for us. And He does that when we do this. We realize that we're a sinner. The various ways that we sin are myriad. Our tongue sins in numerous ways, all of us. And so that's one example. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. It doesn't matter what types of sins you've committed. Just realize you're a sinner. And recognize that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sin, whatever it is, whatever the amount, past, present, and future, in full. And that you need that. And you repent. That means, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go your way, not my way. And He offers it to you for the asking. God the Holy Spirit may be moving upon your heart now to change your heart so that you want to respond to that invitation. I pray that you will, as we go before the Lord, you pray to the Lord, acknowledge you're a sinner, that Jesus covered all of your sin and you ask for his forgiveness. I'm going to follow you, Lord, with my life. I ask you to save me, to rescue me. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, we thank you again that we have this opportunity to gather in your presence with your people, to open your word. We thank you that your word instructs us about this most important issue of the use of our communication skill. Something that we have as humanity made in your image that none other in creation has. That we were able to create words, we were able to create thoughts, not just use them but create them because we're made in your image. And we are to use that gift to emulate you, to image you, reflect you back to you. And so our words are to be words spoken as you would, honestly, justly, straightforwardly, lovingly, mercifully. Lord, help us to recognize what's at stake here. We are representing you in the way we speak. Help us to have the humility then to be judicious in the use of our words, to use fewer, and those we do use, to use for the benefit of those around us. As a result of that, may others see the light of Jesus Christ in us as our hearts shine forth in the use of our speech. We will give you the praise and the glory for what you accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now for our closing prayer.